Tottenham, stick it in the goal Come on Tottenham, the pace are bloody slow You are the first team, the last team my dreams have ever seen Put on that lily white and run on to that green White Hart Lane has seen its pain, it's had its loads of nights We fought our team through thick and thin and all those glory nights And when the game is done we'll sing a song and talk it out all night Hey, Come on Tottenham, stick it in the goal Come on Tottenham, don't be so bloody slow You are the first team, the last team Hi, it's episode 6, season 5 of the Tottenham Hotspur Family Podcast. My name's Jav. Joining me this week, John Staples from Urchester. Afternoon, everybody. Afternoon, Dan. Afternoon, Jav. And making his debut, Spurs commentator, Daniel Wynn. Hi there, how are you doing? Thanks for having me. Good, good. Um, Daniel, um, with it's um, customary that with any new guests that we have on the podcast, um, we always ask them how they got bitten by the Spurs buck. Uh, Tell us. It's um yeah it's a sort of well trodden path really. Uh, my dad uh, gave me the illness. Um, he came over to England. He was a refugee during the Second World War, believe it or not, and settled in uh, Stamford Hill near Tottenham. And used to walk down to the ground on a match day, and you know passed it on to me from there. Uh, he took me when I was four for my first game, and I've had a season ticket ever since. I still keep my season ticket on in case I ever stop working there, and. Um, yeah, um, my my two kids have both got that same bug also, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely in the family. Right, we'll chat with Daniel a little bit later in the show about um, commentary and uh, uh, stories from 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 commentating um, at Spurs over the years, favourite matches, that sort of thing. Um, but before we do, as much as I'd like to delay talking about the inevitable, um, we're going to have to discuss Liverpool. John... Um, that was pretty fucking depressing, wasn't it? Um, I've been racking my brains in it for a way to describe the performance, and the only way I can think of it is by going. Yeah, you can't um, you, you can't polish a turd, and I think, and I'm and I'm always very positive about Spurs, but that was one of the worst performances in quite a few years. Um, awful performance. Not the races anywhere across the pitch, and handed that game to Liverpool. That was as poor at the back as I can remember from any game underneath Pochettino. And that's including games we've had Norton and Kabul playing. It was, um, from the moment that, um, Dyer nearly assisted Salah for early on for a goal, it sort of kind of pointed the way forward. We were giving away the ball a lot. We looked lethargic. They didn't let us settle and we couldn't get going. Um, it, like, it was giving the ball away and we would, the architects around don't fall really. Um, our midfield was killed by theirs, absolutely killed. Um, we were trying to loft balls into our forwards and it was like Van Dijk and Gomez mopping it up all day long. All day long. Awful. What strikes me about yesterday was I didn't think Liverpool were particularly great. I mean, if they were fully deserving of their victory, but I don't think they were fantastic. Um, normally they're very good at pressing us, closing us down. I don't think they did a did a great deal of that. And if you look at the possession stats, we had about 60% of the ball, um, which on the face of it you think is, isn't too bad. But what the Liverpool did really, um, what they did was they capitalised on our mistakes. And we made a hell of a lot of mistakes yesterday, giving the ball away. And every time we did, they pounced. Yeah. And they I, took advantage. That first goal was through Vaughan's hands. He should have had that. If, if Loris is on the pitch, he grabs it. Not a problem. The second pass, uh, Toby kind of pass, pass was cut out. Ericsson hacked it in the build-up and then Vorm's punch for a clearance which didn't go anywhere. It was all our own mistakes yesterday that cost us. I mean, yes, Liverpool should have maybe been three nil up or maybe four nil up because they had plenty and plenty of chances and some of them had some woeful finishing. Um, and just to point out, Salah is the very definition of a one-season wonder, I think. He looked so off the pace and out of it yesterday. He was desperate. They were desperate for him to score yesterday. Um, None of none of the players, apart from Lamella when he came on, a Moura for effort could be stood up to be counted. Did Eriksson play yesterday? I mean, we we can accuse Ozil of going missing and not turning up, but Eriksson did that badly yesterday. We need to get him to replicate his form for the Danish national side because he was so anonymous yesterday. It was painful. He was. Um, I think the, the fact that so many players had a had an off day, I think that 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 didn't help. You know, you, you can get away with one player having a having a poor day, maybe two, 
when it's the key players, when it's somebody like Ericsson that makes us tick, and then Dembele and Kane and and a, and a few others, and he coupled with the fact that, that Delhi was missing, um, it just we looked. I think yeah, we we just really looked looked poor. Um, and I think I, it's funny because we had a there was an opportunity right at the end. Um, uh, Son um, should have been awarded. We should have been awarded a penalty for fouls. Son and and if we had and if we scored it would have been two all. I don't think that would have we shouldn't let that distract detract from the fact that we we were poor full stop. And yes, it could have gone. It could have been different if that penalty, if we'd been awarded that penalty and 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 and, 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 and scored it. But we were poor, and I think actually two one was a little kind on us. I think three nil or four nil to Liverpool would have been probably more reflective of, of the game. Yeah. Um, should we just go into some some questions? Um, Ed go Brad, on. another tactical error by Pochettino. The team also seemed to lack motivation and direction. Yeah, I mean, Kent says this, we rolled out an unfamiliar 4-3-3. Um, I think Poch... Um, uh, well, I, OK, I, I saw that right at the beginning and I thought to myself... Okay, I, I can see why he's done that. They they tend to play with a they they play with a back four and, and they play a midfield three of um, Milner, Van Alden and Gaeta, and then a, a sort of a front three if you like of Firmino, Mane and and uh, Salah. And I thought, okay, he's going like for like. He's packed the midfield with Winks and Dembele and Dyer. That's that's quite a brave thing. He's he's trying to stifle them. On paper, when I looked at the lineup, I, I, I thought, yeah, it, it's a strong lineup. It's a strong bench. Um, you could argue that perhaps it's not a not a formation that we're used to playing. But then they would have worked on that during the week, presumably, in training. Yeah, if you look at both the sides, Klopp plays the same formation, and he knows what how the side he wants the side to play. Poch keeps. Chopping and changing, and, and he has over the last uh, the games this season so far. Given that we didn't strengthen, and it's the same group of players, he really must know what the best formation inside is, and we should be more settled. We really should be. Um, I, I've, I've, from from the get go, we looked susceptible to being hit, and I know that much is made of Liverpool's attack, but if you look at ours, we should have had we should have had more of that. I think there's there's problems going forward all over that pitch that need to be addressed and I think Poch needs to take some action um, he, he needs to make subs when they actually are needed Lamella should have come on possibly at half time as soon as he came on the play was pushed up by at least 15 yards forwards and we looked more, much more dangerous uh, Lamella should have started yesterday I know the team that started was the strongest one we could have arguably the strongest one we could have put out with, with Delhi and um, Hugo missing but I think, in his own words, at the end of last season, he needs to be brave as well and take these chances because the side doesn't look settled. And is it a coincidence that Mora and Lamella were the best players for us because they're the most rested? We could argue that this is going to be a difficult season ahead for us, but I don't want to think about that. Potch said we're going to win a lot of games in this season, but are we? Have we peaked? Is you know? We, should we have bought players in the summer? There's, there's a lot of things that I think are adding up now and, and, and are beginning to cost us. Um, we had another question again from um, about the formation from Darren Pamenter. Um, his Twitter handle is at DazP1919. He says, should Potts revert back to the reliable 4-2-3-1? We looked a lot better the last 15 minutes yesterday with the formation with Lucas Sun and... Lamella behind a further forward Kane. Uh, do you know what? Um, a lot's been made of the formation, but I think that it wouldn't have mattered whether we lined, lined up with a back three or a four, or four two three one or four three three. The fact was the players just were poor. They just gave the ball yeah. away. And if you're going to give the way, if you're going to give the ball away at that, you know, possession is nine tenths of the law. And if you give the ball away to a side like Liverpool, to you know one of the top five, top six teams, they're going to punish you. Yes, yeah. it's as simple as that, and we we were sloppy. Um, I I really don't know that formations come into it. No, like like I say, it's everything that, that there's three main things, not everything. 
you know, can't blame the uh, the global banking crisis on yesterday, but it's a bit of everything that's I put think where we, can. we are. Oh, well, maybe, we right, maybe. Maybe that's what's delayed the stadium. Um, <laughs> the board for failing to strengthen. Poch for sending out a team with the wrong game plan or formation. The players for, uh, you know, not turning up. And I, I think that that's highlighted by the fact that that penalty at the end, which was a penalty, none of the players could be bothered to complain, let alone with any passion for the pen. If, if that had been any other team, they'd have been round that the, the referee, and they would the Liverpool players would have been in his face saying that's a penalty. And they, none of them, none of them were. They're, Winks was putting in half-hearted challenges through the middle. Kane's at the half or less pace. Dyer was awful giving the ball away. Trippier and Rose were too high up the pitch and weren't offering any cover. I don't want to drag every loss that we have back to the summer, but. We needed to keep improving the team and moving the forward. We're treading, we, it looks like we're now beginning to tread water. And if it, it, it's a dangerous thing, anything less now than four for us is in decline. If, if we are going to be out of the stadium, um, till the Christmas or, or next season, say, missed opportunities to push on and Champions League not going into that stadium is going to be criminal. It really is. I think there's, there's, there's a whole, there's a malaise about the club that I can see and feel from, from the performances, uh, uh, you know, and I think it, it, I don't, Daniel Levy from the top should be leading and there should be announcements. We're not going into the stadium to this. They need, they need to be clear. And I think that, that's maybe having a trickle down fan effect on the fans who weren't, uh, you know, there was barely any, uh, I couldn't hear any crowd noise or anything like that yesterday. Uh, uh, there's a malaise about the club at the moment and uh, it needs to be snapped out of. And uh, one of the things, it's the players getting behind the fans for the fans and the fans getting behind the players. They, it, it works as symbiosis and it, need, it, it something needs to happen there. Mm. Um, you mentioned a few players that started. We, we touched upon Ericsson earlier. Um, Dyer, it looked like he was out on the piss the night before. Um, I, I, I thought he was pretty woeful. Gave the, gave the ball away quite a lot. Um, certainly first half. Um, Dembele, um, we've talked about it a few times. Is he a failing force? Yeah, unfortunately so. I think, again, yesterday um, showed it. But the tactic to crowd him and then work the ball. I mean, he could get he could get past one player, but there was always the second or the third there just to stop him, and that was the thing. He, he didn't have anywhere to release the ball because they were crowding out, and maybe it's just the tactics, maybe... But yeah, he, can you can we get a replacement, a like-for-like replacement from Dembele? He's a unique player. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but the, the, the one thing is that Liverpool yesterday pressed us really well, and we didn't get our pressing game going. Um, when we are pressed, we can have a tendency to fold um we had a quick question on that from james Farr. why did we not play a pressing game how can we play a team that applies strong high pressure seems our part sorry when how, how can we how can we play a team that applies strong high pressure it seems our passing goes wrong yet yesterday it, we were pressed liverpool were pressed us relentlessly um and if it, there just seemed to be no out ball on, I think we were marked out of the game. I and mean, when we when we tried to do any pressing, um, there was no out ball for us. There was no movement. And Liverpool, when they had the ball, they just made simple movements into space, and they were being, they were finding their players all over the pitch. Yesterday was just a complete complete off day. A comp- they, they were switched off for such a massive game. I'm almost thankful that that wasn't the first game at uh, New White Hart Lane. Mm. Almost thankful. That's that's the only plus note about yesterday. The fact that it wasn't the first game 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 of the new stadium. Um, it's really difficult to, to 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 pick out any positives from yesterday. And um, Harry Winks, um, he that was his f- the first game he started this season. Um, what do you make of his performance? Uh, symptomatic of the rest of the team, unfortunately. Um, mm. Lackluster. I think he's working his way back into match fitness and getting reading of the game, and I think he'll improve going on. But I didn't think he had the best of games yesterday. Um, but <laughs> then nobody did, apart from Lamella and Mora. Do you know what? It's quite worrying that we started with as many as three midfield players at the beginning in Dyer, um, Dembele and Winks, and all three of them came off. Yeah, well... Uh, at- one of those should have been sacrificed for Lamella for a, for a bit more pace up front. I mean, if if you're going to try and be defensive by sticking those three in midfield, um, 
you're you're going to get overrun and have no creativity. I mean, I know Dembele's meant to take the ball past and, and move it on. Dyer isn't a creative player, and Winks is finding his way back. So there was, and Ericsson, like I say, was was wasn't there, wasn't on the pitch. So in in that terms, it wasn't a very creative team at all, unfortunately. Um, who knows? Maybe Wanyama coming back can um, can improve things and, and and add a bit of fire in there. But they, 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 there's a room for improvement. From from a, a possibly five out of ten performances across the pitch, even seven and a half yesterday would have been an improvement on that. Well, it's also worrying that Winks, as you mentioned, he's he's finding his way back into the into the team. So if he's fully match fit, Dembele is well documented. You know, can he last to ninety? So you've got both of those players starting, and both of those players, you know, through no through no fault of their own, incapable of finishing the ninety. And I don't know if we can afford to carry. Two passengers, one maybe, but to have two in there, I, I don't know. And, and, and as I agree with you, Lamella should have started. Um, Unfortunately, I don't think they're the only passengers. I think Kane's a passenger at the moment as well, which is yeah. even more worrying for me. Um, he's a he's playing walking football. It looks like. Should we? Uh, we have a few questions on Kane. Let, let, let's jump straight in, into that because this is. I'm quite concerned about this. I posted something in the middle of the week somewhere on social media regarding Kane uh, um, about what I think should happen to him. So Kent, first we've got Kent Goodrich, who says, um, his Twitter handle is at Kent Goodrich. He says, post-game, Pochettino was blaming World Cup fatigue for the players looking a bit tired. OK, they, they've played a lot of football, but the games will keep on coming, tired or not. How does Poch address this? And um, David Fornell, um, who was I was at the game with yesterday, he said, "Do we think that Kane needs resting, or is inclusion of Mora causing Kane to play too deep and therefore less effective?" Okay, there's, there's quite a few things there. Let's first tackle the whether Kane needs resting. Now, I, I'm of the opinion that he's played a lot of football um, over the last three years. He's obviously been involved in, in the World Cup with a few, few others. He's He's had this injury back in back in March, another ankle injury. Um, but he's perhaps not fully recovered yet from it. Um, I recall, you know, and I hope it's nothing serious, and I hope it's not a long term injury, and I hope we do see the best of him. But I I recall years and years ago, and, it, and it's a different position, but I recall um, Sir Alex Ferguson in, in in the treble winning season giving Peter Schmeichel a rest in the middle of the season, and he just said, "You can go on holiday, just just you know take a break." And I can't help but thinking that we need to do the same with Kane. I really do, because he wants to play in every game. That's the problem. He's not going mean, to... Every footballer wants to play in every, every every game. But Kane's really got this self-determination and drive to come back from injuries quickly, to play in every game when he's chasing records and, and, and whatnot. And I think he just needs both rest, both physically and, and mentally. And, and, I, and I actually think we, we can afford to do that, because I think we've got other options in Sun and Mora and, and Lamella playing a false nine. Um because he just looks a shadow of the player um, that, that we know he can be. I think they should have pulled him from international duty. I don't think they should have gone. Um, much is made of the that we have nine players in the World Cup that went to the semi-finals and beyond. Um, and Liverpool yesterday had had one or two, I think. Um, so you could argue there's tiredness, lack of pre-season because they're a World Cup and not gelling. You could argue that as well. The issue with Kane is he's not being, he's not contributing at all. Um, I wasn't concerned pre-game yesterday because I think, you know, it's a slow starter. The fact he scored a couple in August, he always builds up. October, he normally, when he hits his peak, etc. But it's clear yesterday that he needs a break. He, he's been off it for about six months or so. Fergie, Fergie used to pull players out. When they when they needed a break of international duty, you know, I'll bring him off. Oh, he's got a bit of ankle injury. You're not going to England, um, and I think we should have done that with Pot, uh, with Pot should have done that with Kane. We need to protect our players a bit more. They're our players. We pay their wages. We need to make sure that they're all right. Um, uh, you know, it, we've had a lack of preparation and getting to know each other as well. I, I think that this key players do need a break. And, and maybe key players aren't being utilised in the right way. I've alluded to Ericsson and, and his form for, for the, his national team. You're playing further up, he's a bit more dangerous. And this is the thing, is, he, is Poch making him play a bit too deep? But yeah, Kane, Kane's form is very worrying for me now. He, 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 he does need a break. He does need to have a rest. And he, he needs two weeks sitting on a beach somewhere just so he can, he can recharge. I mean, look at it yesterday. We, we worked the keeper... Once or twice, 
we had two two or three shots on target for the, and most of those two of those probably came on when Lamella came on the pitch and they had 13 and this is at home it's a disgrace it's disgraceful we need to be better than that we are better than that and I, I hope that the, that there that there aren't any there isn't anything in the background going on that's affecting this um, mm. I really I, I don't I haven't heard anything and I'm not as not Casting any aspersions that there are, but I just hope that everything's rosy in the garden, and that this is just lack of preparation that's hurting us. So, possible injuries and, and, and tiredness aside, um, Kane playing with Mora. Do you think that's is that the best way forward? I mean, Mora certainly can can do a lot of Kane's running. That that's that's good, and he can stretch defences with, with his pace. But is perhaps Kane better suited to, to being a conventional um, centre forward playing up top on his own with with support from from other players. Kane can play anywhere across that front three, I believe. I mean, the Huddlesfield game that I went to with last season, he was out on that right wing and he crossed that ball into a sun, which was inch perfect. So he, he's got he's got that in his locker and he, he can play in different areas. But I just don't think he, he is eighty percent, let alone ninety nine a hundred percent at the moment. I think he he's well off it. I think he need he needs that he needs a break. Um, I don't think that Mora's game I don't think is affecting him. Yes, he if he if if Mora's in that team, then Kane needs to be holding it up and and laying it off for Mora to come into. And yesterday, all that all that we were doing and the the, the 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 route that we were taking was trying to play balls over the top, like I say, that Van Dyke and yeah. and Gomez was mopping up. So they weren't even trying to play to that strength yesterday. So, uh, is it on Poch for playing weird tactics and a strange, strange formation? Possibly, yeah. But the the players weren't up for that yesterday at all. Does he? Does Poch? This is a question from Richard Healy. Does does he does he know his strongest strongest team? Um, because for a settled squad, I'm I'm, yeah. um, I'm not sure that he that he does. That, that's um, Richard saying that. Um, this comes. This comes down to the crux of what Poch meant by "be brave" in the summer. Be brave in spending a load of money to get in a player for seventy million quid that would disrupt his settled side that he had from last season, mm. or try and keep the side together. Does "be brave" mean keep the side together and we go again and we just try and keep going? Now, if that, if that if if it's the second definition where you try and keep the side together, I think um, that the gamble that hasn't paid off already. I think um, the manner in which we lost to Watford that we, we uh, fell apart there um, and the, the manner of the defeat yesterday. I'll tell you what, if we'd have got that penalty, if that penalty had been awarded at the end, it it would have been the, one of the most unjust wins, I think. I would have laughed all the way, but it would have been hilarious. But the ref bottling is neither here nor there. We weren't good enough yesterday at all. I mean, can you argue that Delhi was missing link today? I mean, what De- what Delhi does is he certainly draws a lot of lot of players, um, and he'll always pop up, pop up, pop up, pop up with a goal. But I, I was speaking to somebody after the game, and they they were being critical of Pochettino and his substitutions and and him leaving it too late. I don't, I don't think he left. I didn't look at the, the the times of the substitutions. I don't think he left it that late. I, I'm just of the mindset that we could have had Gareth Bale on the bench. And brought him on um, at half time, and I don't think it would have made any difference. I think we were just piss poor collectively. Yeah, no. we, we we really yeah. were. Um, it goes back to my opening remark. It was it was rubbish. It, it was it, it was an utter horror show. Ninety minutes horror show. Let, let's just finish up before we um, move into the second half of the show. Two more questions um, around the game, and then I've got a question. For, yourself for a point of discussion so firstly um, another one from Darren Pamenter he says Lamella has looked good and been very positive in his sub appearance so far this was written um, at the time of the game um, is super sub his best role or would you start him when fully fit I'd start him I, I would start I, I want him to start at versus Inter Milan mm. I really do um, he We've said before, he's uh, a nasty little git and he brings a bit of bite and, and, and feistiness to the to the um, the midfield. 
when he first signed for Roma, I remember reading something that their fans said that he was cold-hearted and sometimes he doesn't, uh, when he comes onto the pitch, he doesn't show that fight or battle. But I think yesterday and in other performances, he does show that. Look at, look at the way he was winding up Wilshire and things like that. He's got that little bit of spite in him that as an opposing fan you'd hate, but as a player for our club, I love and I want to see. I want him to start against Inter. I really do. I want him, uh, I think there's a great, great shout for him starting. I, I agree. I'm, I'm a big fan of um, Labella. He's, he's unfortunately much maligned amongst many of our supporters. And there were people giving him stick yesterday, and lo and behold, um, he pops up and, 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 and gets a goal. Um, you know, his, his Spurs career has been blighted by inj- injuries. That, that's, that's a matter of fact. But people also forget that he had a very good season 2015-16 when, when we finished behind, um, well, behind Leicester and uh, the other team. Um, Team from Woolwich, um, and he, you know, he featured in a lot of the games then. And and the season after, he started the season well, and then he had that horrendous injury and was was, was out for so, so long. And um, I think he finished off last season in in, in good form. And I, I don't get, I really don't get the criticism of him. And I, like you, I hope he starts in in Milan. I think Sonny will probably as well. He's got a very good record yeah. in, in in the Champions League. Um, okay, final question from. Um, Listeners, um, Zach Costola. Um, so Zach was at the game yesterday, and he writes: Toby made some great tackles and diagonals, but dwelt on the ball too much um, and ignored the easy ball to trips. Now, I think that, by the way, I think that that might have been to do with. Uh, I think that might have been deliberate. Deliberate thing. You're often he was looking to the rose and, and trying to get the, get get the ball out to him. So I, I think that was deliberate. Anyway, um, he often went for the Hollywood ball to the left wing and lost the ball needlessly for their first goal. Made a few other. T- Untypical errors too. And he goes on to say, "Question of the pod: Has Trippier been caught shagging Toby's misses, or is there some reason he won't pass to him?" I don't know. Um, that isn't Toby's ball always over to that side, or am I getting it wrong? I don't, I, I don't know why that ball wasn't on. Yesterday, Liverpool had a lot of balls on, and I, I think we were trying to push their balls back back, pin them back like we've done, we've done against teams in the past, but they're, they're basically their their fullbacks just ran past ours and were far too forward. They were having a field day yesterday and I, I'm maybe it was caution, maybe it was maybe it was a direct instruction not to from Poch, who knows yeah. I, I, um, I, 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 I suspect it was a d- deliberate thing and maybe there was more space on that on that side and the instruction was to, to get it to Rose and exploit, exploit, exploit them down their right hand side um, yeah. Yes, uh, and I hope he's not shagging Trippier's missus because he's got a lovely wife and a couple of kids now, so that'd be yeah. a shame. Um, okay, this is really doom, doom and gloom. Um, let, okay, let's let's take a step step back for a minute. Um, we've played five matches this season and we've got nine points. That's arguably, I know it's a different season, but that's arguably probably about the same amount of points we had um, this uh, this time last year and and and, and the season. Before now, we've had two defeats, which I think probably at this point is more than we've had at any other time since Pochettino's been in charge. Probably you want to go back to his, his first season, 2014-15. Um, so to have two defeats already at this, this at this stage is is quite a lot compared to every other season by his first season when Pochettino's been in charge. But we haven't drawn a lot. Well, we haven't drawn any games this season. And if you recall in the past, we used to draw a lot, lot a, a lot of matches and the criticism was then as yes. well. It's yeah. great that we haven't lost yet. You haven't lost any games, but you're drawing too many that, that, that you should win. So points-wise, yeah. we're about the same. Yep, we were poor two games on the trot. We, we've had periods in the last few seasons like sticky Octobers and Novembers when we've had a few players out injured and, and, and we've been poor. We, we always have a, you know, a sticky patch and there's no reason why we can't turn it around. Um, it's, it's early days. Um, perhaps, perhaps it all, 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 all come together. Perhaps, you know, we will, we'll start to hit, hit the ground running, um, hopefully middle of the week against Inter and then, and then at Brighton on, on, on Saturday. It is, it is today, I think, you know, doom and gloom. It wasn't a very good performance. It, um, in fact, it was, it was, it was awful. Um, and I, I, I do think that the season will come good and we'll 
going forward we will, as Poch says, win a lot of games. Um, but it, objectively, it's hard hard to see that right now. Um, and I think, I think heart and heads, you know what I mean? It's two different things. Heart, your, your heart's telling us one thing and your head's telling us, well, we're playing really badly. And if this continues, it could be a very long season. I think if yesterday's performance is indicative of... Well, if if... If 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 if, if, if another five games down down the line, we're still playing this way, and we're, and we're not picking up results. Uh, and I say five. I'm talking about five Premier League games. I'd say five Premier League games plus a League Cup and and, and some Champions League games as well. If we're still playing like this, then then alarm bells will will ring um, for yeah. me at this point. Yeah, you can you can have one bad day at the office. You can have two yeah. two bad. It, it, it could be all manner of things going on. I just hope that um, you mentioned form right at the outset. Um, how much of a concern is it going into? Oh, look, I like form as a goalkeeper, and I and I think he's I think he's, he's okay. I think he's solid. Um, I think he's good with his feet, but he didn't cover himself in glory yesterday. And we go no, to San Siro middle of the week. Um, and he's going to probably, I assume, start again. I've got no reason to believe that Gazaniga will necessarily start. I mean, he's our third choice keeper. I think he was a third choice keeper at Southampton. There's probably a reason for that. Um, how much of a concern is it that, that Hugo is out? I mean, they're talking about five weeks, possibly. I didn't know that. I, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know that AA meetings lasted that long. But there you go. Well, it was on the it was on the bench in France, wasn't he, for the internationals? Mm. So I, I don't know when he's got injured or, or what he's picked up. Is it an injury, or are they just, you know, making a point and and, and keeping him out the line of fire? Um, I give Gisinger a go because I give my mum a go in goal because he can't shoot. You know, neither of them can do any worse than Vaughan. Um, I don't. But again, nobody covered themselves in in, in grey. So. Uh, I, I read one thing that the Liverpool were apparently drilling to shoot, you know, form's quite a good shot, you know, shot stopper, but he didn't command, it reminded me of Gomez when we had him in goal, commanding the box yeah. in the way that he did, you know, they, uh, Loris does it so well, and uh, keepers that can do it are, are a valuable commodity, um, but I think uh, Vorm is, is is a position we need to improve on, and I'd give Gazinga a go, why not, nice. you know, we... we and going back to what you said beforehand, I don't think it's going to be. It's never going to be about as eight games, two points when when Redknapp come in, and I don't think that Poch is any in any danger. But um, we've got to we've got to smarten up and liven up, really. Absolutely. Um, right, that's been a fairly depressing half an hour. Hopefully, yeah. things will be a little bit more upbeat Let's in the second talk to Dan and talk about Let's some talk. good stuff. So Daniel's been sitting there patiently. In the second half of the podcast, um we'll briefly look at Inter. Um it's my first um uh European away day, so I'm really looking forward to that. We'll briefly discuss that with, with um with Daniel and then we'll we'll talk about um what life is like as a Spurs commentator. But before we do, um here is Bex with this week's Spurs Ladies update. Hey uh, it's Bex. So this week, Spurs Ladies World has been very exciting. So the girls opened their league campaign with a 2-1 win over London Bees last weekend. Apologies if Jav reported it the last week. I've had some domestic stuff and I'm unaware of things that have been going on. Uh, and that was followed by today, Sunday. The girls went all the way down to Dorchester to play Yeovil. I don't quite understand why Yeovil ladies are playing at Dorchester as they're not a perfectly good stadium at Yeovil. But anyway, um, and 1-4-0 with a hat-trick coming from Coral Jade Haynes, which is really good to see. So the next game is a midweek game all the way in, oh, it's in Quorn um, against Leicester ladies, which is a championship game. So it'd be good to see that if the girls can manage to get that done. So that's the 19th of September at 1945. I'm guessing not many of us are going to go to that midweek late school night. Following that, they play on the 23rd of September um, against Sheffield United ladies at Cheston. That's a one o'clock kickoff. And then they finish off the month with another championship game against Crystal Palace. And that matches away on the 30th of September. So for today, um, really good. The girls all played really well. Good to see uh, Dorset Spurs got a shout out for attending and being a big supporter of the ladies team. And a quick word to them. Lads, I'm really sorry I would have been there today had I not gone to Tottenham yesterday to watch that debark called the Liverpool game. Anyway, that's me. I am on Twitter at BunchesBex. Thanks very much. Cheers. Bye-bye. Welcome back to the second half of the Tottenham Hotspur family podcast. Thank you, Bex, for your update, Spurs ladies. Um, 
Right. Um, Daniel, we've, we've got a few questions um, uh, that we'd like to ask you. Um, but before we, before we do that, um, just looking ahead to the fixtures ahead, we've got Inter Milan um, in the middle, middle of the week um, and Huddersfield next. Um, I've... Um, I'm actually going out to Milan on on um, well, actually tomorrow. Flying out tomorrow, and so it's my first European first European game, which I'm really really looking forward you to. You will love it. Um, it's a great it's a great setting as well. You will love it. What can I what what can I expect on my first European game or adventure? It's something that I wanted to do uh, for many years. Obviously, there was that sort of period when Spurs weren't in Europe. So when the opportunity came, just seeing. Everybody out there, it's, you know, think of the away game feeling when you're at a smaller ground and it's a sense of unity, but multiply it up by a thousand times and you're in a major European city, you're lucky enough to be going to Milan and everywhere you go there's Spurs fans and usually it's a real celebratory feeling, atmosphere and the Milan fans will, yeah, sorry, the Inter fans will be, um, you know, there as well and it's always a good atmosphere. The Spurs fans will be in party mood. Probably be in the, in the big square in Milan by the, by the Dumo uh, before the game and you will love it and it's going to be a fantastic occasion and yeah, the, the away fans um, at the San Siro are usually right at the very top so you've got that long walkway to go up. Um, but that's character building and it's part of it and I'm sure you'll have a great time. I've been, um, a few times at St. James's Park and they, they um, anyone who's, who's, who's um, been there um, and sat with the away fans. They they put you right up in the sky. Um, is the San Siro as, as bad as that? Yeah, it's similar. <laughs> it's similar. Um, um, I went to the fourth three game when Gareth Bale got the hat trick. Um, when was that? Two thousand and ten, wasn't it? And um, yeah, we were right up in the gods, and um, yeah, it was it was memorable. And are you feeling confident about Tuesday? I'd have felt a little bit more confident if. Um, we haven't um, been going into the game on the back of two defeats. Uh, I think Inter and they used to be. Um, I think they were eighth or ninth going into this weekend's round of fixtures. So um, yeah, I, I think there'll be some changes in the starting lineup, but I've got no doubt that uh, we will come away from there um, at least with a point. And there's no reason why we can't you know, start off our Champions League campaign this time out with a fine away win. And then Huddersfield's on. Huddersfield, Brighton, even. I'm, Brighton. I'm, I'm, yeah, Brighton on Brighton on Saturday. That should be a good game as well um, against uh, Chrissy Houston's boys. Yeah, uh, Chris Houston's done a great job there. Obviously, Paul Barber, um, he's involved as well. Um, you know, so pleased that they managed to stay up last season. It's a great story. And um, but <laughs> they won't be friends come Saturday evening. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting back to winning ways in the Premier League. Now. Um, You've been a Spurs commentator for what the last eighteen seasons? As many as that? Yeah, um, yeah. So I was on Spurs TV for seventeen years, and that changed this summer. Um, I'm now only doing um, home commentaries for a certain section of the supporters, uh, and yeah, it, uh, it's been an amazing journey. I think um, it's, it actually started about nineteen years ago, believe it or not, doing the web commentaries for the Spurs website. It was Spurs.co.uk as it was then. And um, after a few months on that, they put me onto the TV side and I was there until the end of last season. Um, home games, away games, every every game the first team played, end of season tours, pre-season tours. Yeah, it's a dream come true. And as I said, um, there's been a number of changes to the club this season. I've been one of them. And they've got a new guy that's come in, Rob Daly, who's doing really well. And um, yeah, so I've, I've got something new to focus on, but um, I'm sitting up on the gantry, sitting alongside... Oh, yesterday was Guy Mowbray um, for the BBC. Martin Tyler and Gary Neville were there um, for Premier League productions. It was Peter Drury and Jim Beglin. Everyone's talked to each other. Everyone gets on well. Um, it was in the press lounge beforehand and, you know, just chatting away, talking to Jim Beglin about um, Liverpool. Obviously, he's, you know, in tune with Liverpool, being an ex-player. Fascinating to get his views on the changes this summer and and the season ahead. And um, he predicted a Liverpool win, and unfortunately uh, he was proved to, he was proved to be correct. But as a Spurs fan that I am, doing what I do, um, I, I think I used the term before, dream come true. It, it's a fantastic job, and you know, I know I'm lucky, and I don't take anything for granted. Um, but to describe the action as I have done um, every game, home and away, um, it's just superb. Really lucky. 
I think how when you went back back in the day, how did you get into? You said you're on the website and doing the commentary there. Did, did they advertise for a commentator, or did you, was there like a, a, a no, lucky break? Or yeah. it's, it's sort of classic example of being in the right place at the right time. Um, I, I did the first commentaries for Spurs on the old Sky Fan Zone service. Ah, yeah, um, yeah. I think. Uh, Crackers did it after me and one or two others, but I did the first, I think, six or seven, and the first, I think, three for England as well. And at the time, Planet Football, which was a Sky company, ran the Spurs website, and they were looking for somebody, and I knew a couple of people at the club, and, you know, Sky helped a little bit, and there was a bit of an introduction made, and it all kind of went from there. So it literally was the right place at the right time. Okay. What's been your favourite commentary moment over over the years? You have to pick oh, pick God. one out. It's so hard to pick one out. I mean, I can pick a few out. Um, the Arsenal five one uh, League Cup semi final that was fantastic. Um, beating Chelsea for the first time after all those years uh, back in November was it um, two thousand and five? Wasn't it? I think it was. That was you know, that, that that was just amazing. Um, the Inter Milan game. Um, when we beat them 3-1 away, Raphael van der Vaart um, had a great night. Gareth Bale, obviously, ran them ragged. Uh, that was superb. Um, the Man City Champions League game, that was, you know, that was brilliant. Uh, there's just so many to, to choose from. And um, obviously, any game when you beat Arsenal, but um, it's really hard to point to one particular game. But if there's one memory, I would, you know, you put away the Arsenal games and you put the Chelsea semi-finals to one side. I think it was that Inter Milan game when we beat them 3-1 at home and I think it was Van der Vaart got the opening goal and nobody really, really expected us to win. And basically, I just found myself saying, and Spurs lead the European champions. It was shock and it was sheer relation at the same time. It was just, just fantastic. Mm. Um, what does a typical working day involved for you? <laughs> the match day is, is almost like the coming together of all the prep work. Um, I think people think commentary is easy. You just turn up and you just describe what you see. You have to prepare. Um, obviously, the Spurs knowledge is fairly ingrained, but it's you know fine-tuning all the stats, looking for previous games against your opposition. Um, but you know, knowing who you're playing against, that has to you know that has to be prepared. You know, if you know back in the Spurs TV days, if there's like a 30-second cutaway shot of um, one of their players, you have to be able to talk about him. Which, if you're playing Arsenal, Man United, Chelsea, that's relatively easy. But if you're playing, I don't know, like Rochdale in the League Cup third round away, you know, you, you need to know um, who more often than not Rochdale's second choice left back is, and you know, you have to have that information to hand, and in a way where you can just spurt it out when you need to. So um, that that's the hard work. It's all the preparation. But turning up on a match day, um, I would get to the ground at about. About 10.30, 11 o'clock. Um, for the last couple of years, we, we had like a production meeting um, on site, just running through what was going to be happening. That involved a stadium announcer. Sometimes if there was an intricate half-time stuff, Paul Coit would be there as well. Um, and then, you know, just grab, grab some lunch up in the press lounge, you know, just get some information from other commentators. If one of the Spurs players was injured and there was like a youngster coming in, they may ask me a little bit about them. Um, and then we we get the teams um, an hour and a quarter before kickoff. They're embargoed un, un, until an hour before, as you know, when they when they appear on Twitter, etc. And then make my way up to the gantry, just finish off my commentary sheet, and um, you know test the lines to make sure they're working back to where they have to be, so that the sound gets captured as well as the pictures. And then just crack on. I, I would start as the teams come out. Have a break at half time, pick it up as they come out of the tunnel for the second half, and at the end of the game, that would be it. Free to go home. Incidentally, you mentioned Twitter. Why is it the case that it always appears first on Twitter? I think it's just easier, isn't it? Um, I, it you know, they just put it out on Twitter first. It's, you know, I think they get 15 minutes or so to prepare, you know, the actual tweet, as it were, and they can just press send um, 60 minutes before kickoff and it's job done. What? I don't work in the Spurs media team per se, so I can't give an accurate answer, but I think that's just the quickest way to get that information out. Mm. I, th I think they have the Twitter and Facebook link, so when they when it 
hits one, it hits the other at the same time. But it's the the quickest oh, and yeah. easy way for the fans to get the team news, isn't it? I mean, when if if I'm sitting um, on the computer and it comes up on Twitter, normally twenty minutes later the the radio's got it. So there's always, it, it, but that's because there's a breaking player, whatever commentary or whatever's going on. It's never that instant. But because social media is so impactful, I think that's why they do it that way. Fair enough. But, um, you know, the big broadcasting companies would actually get it 75 minutes before kickoff. Yeah, I, I, it's embargo till an hour, isn't it? Because I always look an hour, yeah, an hour beforehand. And on a couple of the, uh, the, like the Spurs forums, it's always, you know, just as, as it comes up, there'll be people, you know, trying to get the, the team news up there first. So, as a fan, what's it like sitting with the, with the best seats in the house up in that gantry? Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, my seats at White Hart Lane, my season ticket seats were just below the gantry, um, east up a full throw right on the halfway line. So I was really lucky with those seats. Not that I've sat in them for the last few years anyway, but, um, yeah, the gantries, it, it, it's a great place to be. It, but it's a working area and it's, um, especially that old gantry at White Hart Lane, you know, the one that had, that, that, um, basically hung off the roof of the East End. It was the coldest part in the ground. Make no mistake about that. Um, you know, those cold January, February nights, there's a metal floor. You know, it sometimes take an hour to get the feeling in your feet back after the game. Um, but yeah, the view was spectacular. And um, I, I keep saying it, but just really lucky and really fortunate to be able to have been up there and to, you know, seen what I've seen down the years. And I guess have a bit of an insight into the workings of the club as well. So you're saying like people like Gary Neville and, and co actually sit up there when they're doing the commentary. I'd have thought yeah, they'd have had a street, nice, um, warm, warm studio. Um, but who's no, the um, most famous fan. person you've been sat next to or with? Most famous person? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or the one that struck you with the most, you know, oh, I can't believe I'm sitting with this person sort of thing. I mean, I've always been interested in commentary. So, um, you know, sitting alongside John Watson, you know, sharing... Um, you know, the gantry with John Watson and a couple of times when he was working for BBC Radio they had to go upstairs and his position was literally right next to me um, and the radio guys don't always have monitors so he asked me do I mind turning my monitor around so he can see it yeah, that was that was quite nice um, Martin Tyler's you know really obviously knowledgeable he's you know, the, the best out there uh, in a bizarre twist of twist of fate his son was going out with my brother's daughter with my brother's daughter for about two years, so yeah, that was quite amusing. Uh, um, but yeah, so all, all of those guys, Guy Mowbray now, uh, Steve Wilson, all the co-commentators, uh, Joey Barton was up there, believe it or not, um, a couple of years ago, I think he was doing some research, he was trying to get into the broadcasting world, and I think with BT he was up there once, and you know there was a spare seat next to mine, and in the softest, most politest, gentle voice, he said, is it alright if I take this seat? You know, he, total opposite to how he, how he was on the pitch, and the reputation he had, but you know, David Pleat was up there on many, on many occasions, you know, he's such... He's such an inspiration. You can say to David Pleat, who's the third choice left back for York City's under-15 team? And, you know, he would tell you his name, the school he goes to. These guys, it's on a different level. We as fans think we know football. If you ever manage to watch a game with a professional or with a manager or a coach, it's so, so different to you and I watching a game. I like David Pleat as a commentator. Uh, I think he's a, a, a knowledgeable and insightful person. Uh, the other thing yeah. that I've always wondered, what happens if you need to go to Lou? Because there can't be any toilet up there. No, um, on the Wembley it. Gantry, yeah, on the Wembley Gantry, there's some uh, just behind, but obviously mid-broadcast, you can't go off. So, you know, you've got to make sure before the game that you don't need to, and that all bases are covered. And, I suppose it um, adds some urgency. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> but... <laughs> at White Hart Lane, there was nothing up there. The, the, the closest facilities were on the concourse of the East Upper. And at half time, if you wanted to go there, forget it. There was no chance because the, yeah. uh, the uh, concourses were packed. So, you know, you just had to make sure that you were never in that situation. And on those cold nights that I mentioned earlier, that was sometimes a challenge. I was going to say cups of tea as well. And uh, you, you must take all your own snacks up there. Do you share sandwiches with people? Uh, um, yeah, again, for health and safety, you weren't actually allowed to have hot drinks up there, believe me. <laughs> oh, no. We used to. Um, 
uh, our edit room uh, was in the Legends Lounge in the East End, and you know, very kindly, the waitresses up there they used to bring me tea at half time, and then one of the senior stewards said, "You can't do that um, because in case it drips onto the fans below." So that was all knocked on the head. So we all had to suffer. So it's not all that glamorous in the TV world, I can assure you. But yeah, you, you, you just bring your own things, and um, you're fine. But listen, to not eat or drink for an hour and a half. It's not the end of the world, but um, I would have a couple of bottles of water. Just when you're constantly talking like that, sometimes you do need just to keep your mouth a, a little bit moist, as it were. Have you, health and safety. Have you ever had? Like <laughs> <laughs> I know, you, it's, it's true. It's true. Have you ever had any unfortunate moments as a commentator? For example, a sore throat and battling the bat. Oh yeah, plenty. Um, yeah, plenty of illnesses. Uh, there were some games that I just really shouldn't have gone to. Um, but, you know, heavy, heavy cold, no energy. But the sound system, I mean, my friends that obviously know me well, they always say to me, that doesn't actually sound like you. Um, it, the voice does come over different. So if you just speak a little bit louder when you've got a cold or a sore throat, you, you, you can get by. But you, you talk about unf- unfortunate moments, but um, you know the Fabrice Mwamba um, moment that was probably the hardest ever, and I was really lucky because I had David Pleat sitting about five feet to my right. He was working for BBC Radio that uh, that day, and John Champion, who was on ESPN that night, who is the nicest guy and one of the most knowledgeable people you could ever wish to meet. He was working for I think it was ESPN, and you know so I could sort of listen to what they were both saying. But David Pleat was the closest to me. And I could hear him say, I can hear him say that this is what Howard Webb should, should be doing now. And that's exactly how it panned out. He called it perfectly. Our floor manager, um, we have someone based in the mouth of, of the tunnel, getting information from the benches, what's going on, why substitutions are made, all that kind of stuff. And um, I had to fill for about 15 minutes. And as Moamba was carried off, um, and walk and carry off down the tunnel. My floor manager said to me, "He's not breathing. The guy's dead." Um, I obviously didn't say that, but you know, that's the message that I was getting. And in another bizarre incident, the guy, the doctor that came onto the pitch from the stands, um, he he was an old family friend, believe it or not. So that was just another coincidence. But um, yeah, the information wasn't great coming to us. It didn't sound good at all. And looking at the players' reactions, I remember Jermaine Defoe, and I think it was Benny as well. He and they both looked distraught. And walking off the gantry once the game was abandoned, the eerie silence um, around the whole ground. Everybody was stunned. Nobody really cared about the football. It was just yeah, awful night. So, did you ever, you know, on a match day, I'll try and drink from my, only drink from my Spurs mug, have a, have my Spurs hoodie on. Do you have any superstitions, any lucky socks or any, like, parts of the, you know, on your journey and you've got to see this or do that? I used to. Um, I can't wear a hoodie, I have to wear a Spurs suit, um, especially for the home games, but I, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I used to have to drive in a certain way. And uh, coming off the North Circuit, I live at Chigwell, so it's all coming from the east. I had to turn off a certain road. Then about four years ago, they shut this road off. And, and you know, my OCD in me just completely went into overdrive. I, I, I was a wreck. And we lost the first two or three games as a result. Well, I say as a result. But after they closed that road, we lost the first two or three games at home. And, I mean, oh, no, you know, th- this has to be opened again. But um, obviously that, that will change. But it was, um yeah... I like getting onto the gantry at a certain time. I always like to just make sure that I'm prepared, I'm relaxed, I hate rushing. That's my one reoccurring dream as opposed to a superstition per se, is getting stuck in traffic and not being able to get to the game on time. And um, yeah, that's never happened, thankfully. That's why I always do get there so early. But there's no superstitions as such, no. Are there any um, memories of the lane players goals, matches, I know you talked about the, 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 the Inter Milan game that, that stand out for you I mean, Memories of the lane I mean, different as a fan as a little boy, as I said I was four years old when I first went um, going with my dad um, walking up to the ground the old West Stand in the early sort of mid-70s, 1974, 75 I remember those big steps going up to the West Stand, that's a memory that I won't ever forget and then walking out into the arena, into the bowl for the first time that, that that's just very very special um and then 
certain games I've I mentioned many. Um, they would always be with me. Um, and also, I used to do the stadium announcing for the under 21s and the under 18s when they were there. And just being there inside the ground, pretty much by yourself and until it opened, that kind of made it feel special, but in a totally different way to on a match day. Um, it was almost like it's my White Hart Lane, you know, which is shared by everybody. And everyone has a certain piece of the lane which they are very proud of. But yeah, I definitely re- remember that. I remember having or coming out of the tunnel for the first time. Um, and of course, the, f- the finale. Um, I've been, I've been driving myself mad. Um, what was I going to say? The very last sentence of that very last game against United. How was I going to end it? I wanted to somehow n- give a massive nod to the past, a massive look forward as well at the same time. And I wanted to do that in, you know, the final piece after the final whistle, get that 60 seconds to wrap up the game. And so the best I could come up with, and it literally hit me the night before that Man United game, it was, you know, obviously spoke about the win, the goal scorers, who got the last goal at White Hart Lane. And then as you said, glory, glory, Tottenham Hotspur and the Spurs go marching on. And I remember thinking, am I going to get through it without my voice creaking? And if you play it back, you can just hear my voice going um, at the end. It, it, it's, the, it's the one thing in your life, Tottenham Hotspur, it's the one thing in your life that's a constant. And White Hart Lane was obviously that place where everything came, came together. You know, you, your kids grow up and they move out. You know, you can change your religion, you can change your partner. You, you know, your parents grow older and die and all that kind of stuff. But White Hot Lane was always there, and to think we were never going to be going back there, yeah, it's quite a powerful memory, and um, yeah, it was, it was quite emotional at the time, so yeah, that's a memory that I won't ever forget, and then that rainbow at the end as well, you know, you just couldn't have written that. Yeah, I, can't, I can't wait for the new ground to open. You've made me sort of like think about it, and I'm, I'm just getting emotional thinking about everything yeah. on that day as well. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the finale was fantastic. You know, obviously West Ham had it the year before and you know, speaking to some of the people involved in the, in the closing ceremony in prepping it and organising it, they didn't want it to drag on for too long. Uh, they, you know, they didn't want it to be too cheesy. And, I, you know, I genuinely believe they really hit the right note. Um, it was just amazing. And as I said, that rainbow at the end, you know, money can't buy that stuff. I, I really think they, they, they did it well. Now, I'd come down for the day um, with my son and a friend and his son on the off chance of trying to get some tickets, but there was absolutely no chance. Uh-huh. And we were sat in the Irish Centre watching it, uh, oh, yeah. watching the ceremony. And w- one thing that annoyed me is that the, the Man United section was empty and they could have let a couple more thousand people in there to watch it and yeah. it could have been full. Yeah, yeah. But uh, taking nothing away, it was a lovely, lovely ceremony. It really was. Yeah. So th- thinking about how we've left and, and moving forward, what's your thoughts on the new ground? I've, I've been in there a few times. Um, I went there the Friday before Christmas last year for the first time um, inside it, and yeah, just the feeling, the sense of scale. You know, you, you compare it to the old White Hart Lane. It's, it's inevitable that you do that, and um, it's just massive. And then, I, and then I went back in May. Um, I think just after the season finished, and stood on the pitch, looking up at that big South Stand, which you know wasn't complete then. But you sort of look up and, you know, the, you just think if you're an opposing player taking a penalty at that end in front of 17,500 fans and the noise that's going to come out of there and, you know, one or two other things they've got lined up, which I'm not going to get drawn on, but, you know, it, it's going to be spectacular. And, you know, it's not ideal that we're not in there yet, but, you know, building projects like this, we inevitably overrun. I think, you know, I'm, I'm not here to be critical of the club. I think if they would have said from the outset, we'll be two years away from White Hart Lane, I think everybody would have accepted that. I think they were too, they were too ambitious with the best of intentions. They genuinely didn't know, um, it was going to go into a second year or else they wouldn't have sold season tickets. That's just how it is. I know everyone has their own thoughts on that. That's genuinely how it is. And nothing's been missold, but the stadium itself, it's going to be. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, do you reckon it's well? Obviously, it's important that we stayed on the the, the same site. Really, um, do you think you know the, the, the soul of the club's intact? Absolutely, it is. And again, that's something which the chairman, you know, and the board were absolutely determined to get right. You know, there's no other club 
that has rebuilt its stadium on the same site. Martin Tyler made that point to me very clearly at the finale. He said no one else has done that. The only comparison is Wembley, um, you know, getting rebuilt on the same site. And the fact it's at White Hart Lane, it's on the same site, um, obviously bigger. And, you know, it's slightly over, um, you know, if you come out of the East Stand, if you look at the school behind, it is slightly moved over more towards the Park Lane end. But for all intents and purposes, it's the same venue. Um, just a thousand times better. You know, as much as we all love White Hart Lane and it was a fantastic ground, it did need to change. The club needed to move on. And I know everyone's getting a little bit impatient and a little bit tetchy at the moment, but it, trust me, it will be worth the wait. It is absolutely phenomenal. Final question I had was, um, after, well, after, after a result like yesterday, um, yeah. at least f- for myself, I suppose the same with you, John, and, and countless others. When we go back to work on, on, on a Monday, it's always very, very difficult, particularly if you've got, um, yeah. colleagues who are football supporters and, you know, they'll give you a bit of, bit of stick. It, it, that's just part and parcel. And, and by the same token, if it goes the other way and, and we, we, we get a fantastic result, you've got a spring in your step and you go back to work. If, if you, if you've got a colleague who, happens to be um, a, a fan of whoever you played that previous weekend and, and beat, you can give them a bit, bit of stick. What's it like for you? Because you work for Spurs. So, and I, I've, I've been to Spurs, I've, I've been to um, Hotspur Way quite a few times um, for, for a number of reasons. Um, uh, so I've met quite a few people there, and and yeah, some of some of the people there um, are employed by the club, and and they are they're, they're not Spurs fans. So I suppose in that sense, it, it's it's easier for them to be professional. But but you're both a Spurs fan and you work for the club. How difficult is that, or is it just business as usual? And well, and what's the mood, what, what's time, the mood right? like? I, I don't work there full time. I've got a day job, right? So you know, I'm just a matchday commentator. That's all I am, right? So whilst I'm employed by the club. Um, and there's certain expectations of me on, you know, per, you know on um, social media and all that kind of stuff and the things I can and can't say. Um, I do have a day job, but that makes it even worse because the people that I work with during the week, they are or they see me as Tottenham. So when, when we lose, the abuse is a 100 times worse than I'm sure, you know, the majority of people get up and down the country in their offices and factories and shops and all that kind of stuff. Um, but. The guys that work at the club, no matter who they support, they will tell you that on, you know, on a, on a Monday morning and, you know, tomorrow when they go in, there will be a, a real lull. They absolutely feel it when the, you know, when the first team lose. Make no mistake about that. Whether they support Fulham, whether they, I'm thinking of different people there, whether they support Fulham, whether they support, you know, Arsenal, Chelsea, QPR, whoever, and they do, Man City, and they do, they absolutely feel it because the whole place is brought down and all they want to do is get on to the next game and get the next three points or the next cup win, whatever the next game is. Okay, um, final thing from, from me. So um, we've got a reoccurring question on the podcast um, <clears throat> that we okay. ask um, uh, guests every, every <clears throat> week. Well, first time guests, and as it's the first time that you've appeared on the podcast, yeah. um, the question is, and it's from one of our l- listeners, their Twitter handle is at I know Alan Gulzine, and they've asked, which Spurs player would you like to travel to and sit with at an away game? That's a great question. Um, I'm, I'm really lucky. I've met lots of well, past players, lots of current players. I'm also a trustee of the Tottenham Tribute Trust, which helps the former players that aren't in, or sorry, that find themselves in, in difficult circumstances later in life. So I've met a number of them. Um, two in particular. Um, I've met them both briefly, um, but I'm a bit of a purist. And when you think of the, um, when you think of the sort of great Spurs teams, um, actually there's, there's three that come to mind that I would like to have spent more time with. I met Bill Nicholson on a couple of occasions briefly. I met Dave Mackay once. Um, he was my dad's all-time favourite player, having grown, you know, having started going in that era in, in, in the 60s. Um, he, he was his all-time favourite player. One person I didn't meet, um, Danny Blanchflower. So if I could spend time now with any of those three, obviously it's impossible. Um, but if I could, I would love to have spent time with those. Bizarrely, uh, you know, I've mentioned the word coincidence a number of times already. 
um, I've been on holiday. I, I came back on Thursday, and um, when I was out wherever I was, um, I had lunch with an old friend who used to live here in the UK and then moved out to this particular country. And I met his wife for the first time. She was the goddaughter of Danny, of uh, Bill Nicholson, which was just incredible, just listening to her stories about Bill Nicholson. I didn't know that before. Um, but to answer your question, they are the three people that I would have liked to have spent um, an away game with or travelling to an away game with because that would have been fantastic. Great answer. Absolutely great answer. Thank you. <laughs> Daniel, thank you, for, thank you for your time. Um, oh, thank you for having me. I, I, Cheers, Dan. So let's come back though. Let's come back after after a victory though, yeah. So that <laughs> it's a bit more upbeat. Absolutely. Well, f- f- funny enough, um, listeners should know when I when I approached um, Daniel initially, um, and we talked about possible date. At that point, we were, we were still sort of um, we pending to go into the into the new stadium. So we were looking, but, yeah, yeah. looking forward to that. But obviously, events have transpired, and, and that won't be the case. Um, Right, uh, the next podcast will be recorded um, a week today, the day after the Brighton game, even. I said I'd feel earlier. Brighton. Um, all that's left to say is thank you, John. Thank you, Gav. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for having me. Thank you, Daniel. And until next week, the future's bright, the future's lily white. Good night. Slow, you are the first team, the last team My dreams have ever seen Put on that lily white and run onto that green White Hart Lane has seen its pain, it's had its low tonight We've fought our team through thick and thin and all those glory nights And when the game is done, we'll sing a song and talk it out all night Hey, Come on Tottenham, stick it in the goal Come on Tottenham, don't be so bloody slow You are the first team, the last team my dreams have ever seen Pull on that lily white and run on to that green Oh, we've seen them come, we've seen them go The names up on our shirt Gods have failed as men are hailed And faces in the dirt Now gather round and sing it out And we'll talk out over her